Hello, welcome to Beauty in the Arts, a podcast where we discuss beauty as the most excellent story of God's love and explore the arts as our witness and participation in that love. I'm your host, Sherry Dragovich. I'm the head of the Beauty and Arts Ministry at St. John Lutheran Church. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're going to make our way through the wardrobe and enter Narnia. But I guess before we do that, we need to get ourselves over to World War II time England, out into the country away from the London air raids, and into dear old Professor Kirk's home, that large, rambling, historic place. And then we'll stumble through the wardrobe and into Narnia. And as promised on the last episode, I'm warning you of possible spoiler alerts, so that you, if you haven't read through chapter four yet of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, then you might want to hit pause and wait to listen to this episode until after you've made it that far. Also, before we get going, I want to let you know that I've written a discussion guide for Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I will be writing discussion guides for each one of the books. So you can use these guides for any gathering that you want to have with others surrounding the books, uh, which of course I urge you to do. Yes, we are gathering as a church family around the Narnia stories, and these will be rich and wonderful times, but they only happen four times through the year. And yes, you can listen to the podcast and gain lots of insights, and I, and I hope you do listen to the podcast, because hopefully I hope that you feel come, come away feeling like your imagination's been sparked and your faith's been enlivened. But when you get together with others and talk about the books in a live setting, that's where the magic happens. That's where the fruit is. Now, you can use the guide as extensively or not as you want. I divided the book into four sections, and I've asked four or five questions per section. I work to make these questions varied enough to work for multiple age ranges, and you can use them in a variety of settings, within your family and a small group gathering, or with your spouse or a friend. I also ask a variety of questions so you can discuss the book from a multitude of angles. And of course, I include biblical connections with the passages for looking up, offering you opportunities for contemplating Christ and his character, as well as examining our lives as followers of Christ. So there are ways for utilizing the discussion guide for Bible study time with others or on your own, and even as devotional time. You can find these discussion guides, uh, well, the one for Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and our church family's weekly Wednesday email update. If you're listening in and you're not part of our church family or you don't have access to the email updates, you can also email me directly at sherry at stjohnlutheran.org. I'll gladly send you a copy. I'll also put my email in the show notes so you can be sure to spell it correctly. All right, let's talk about Edmund. Poor Edmund. Right from the start, we recognize Edmund as the disagreeable one of the four children. The story opens, the Pivensi children are introduced to us. Peter is the oldest, then Susan, Edmund, and finally Lucy, with only a year between Edmund and Lucy. And right away, we get a taste of Edmund's ill disposition. He's tired, and this makes him fussy. He snaps at his older sister and is really pretty rude to her. On the children's first full day out in the country, they've made plans to explore their outdoor surroundings, but instead they wake up to rain. And what does Edmund do? While everybody else tries to make the best of it, Edmund grumbles. Now, for their part, Edmund's siblings are quite tolerable of his contrariness. 
I would say they work hard to look past his mean remarks and do what they can to minimize his behavior and have fun around him and sometimes even despite him. But when Lucy stumbles into Narnia through the back of the wardrobe and then comes back and tells her siblings all about it, Edmund's disagreeableness turns spiteful. Now the narrator, who we presume is C.S. Lewis himself, lets us know that Edmund could be spiteful. This was part of his personality. It was that more unpleasant side, right? We all have unpleasant sides to our personality. Those particular ways where sin shows up in us, like spitefulness in Edmund. And boy, Edmund can become spiteful, can't he? He treats Lucy downright nasty. He makes regular fun of her in her imaginary country, even asks her if she's discovered any other countries in the cupboards, through the house. Can you imagine poor Lucy? It's hard enough to not be believed when you're telling the truth. It feels awful. And I'm sure for Lucy, it felt doubly mean because she is a very truthful kind of person. But then to be heckled about it? Edmund even followed her in the wardrobe the second time, not so that he could hide in the wardrobe too, but for the sole purpose of continuing to tease his sister about it. My goodness. And just to let us, the readers, know how depraved Edmund's character is already, even before stepping through the wardrobe and being seduced by the white witch, we read that without thinking, Edmund closes the wardrobe door behind him. Something that Lewis points out several times is a big no-no. Everyone knows it's a very silly thing to shut oneself in a wardrobe. And yet without even thinking, Edmund shuts himself in the wardrobe, proving that not only is he being spiteful and mean, he's acting as a fool. Clearly, this is our narrator's way of foreshadowing the dark things to come for Edmund. Poor Edmund. His unchecked sin has put him in a path of foolery and recklessness. He was so busy indulging his mean desire to bully his sister and having fun at her expense, he had become careless in the simplest of matters. And of course, this is opening himself up to greater disaster ahead, which we know is exactly what happens. Edmund goes through the wardrobe and finds himself walking into this enchanted land, the crunch of snow beneath his feet, the woods surrounding him, and the sun just coming up over the horizon. It's quite similar to Lucy's experience, right? Except not exactly. One of the things I find especially interesting about this scene is the way Lewis describes the forest as being perfectly still, as if he, Edmund, were the only creature in that country. Now that's not quite the way Lucy finds Narnia. At least it's not how Lewis describes it to us. She pretty quickly happens upon Mr. Tumnus the fawn, carrying his packages and umbrella and heading home. Edmund, on the other hand, finds the forest completely still. Yet it's the early morning, right around dawn, and anyone who's been awake around that time of day knows it's really not quiet outside in the early morning, at least as not as far as the animals are concerned. The birds are chirping, the squirrels are scurrying around up and down trees, the deer are out, and they're out chowing down on my hostas and daylilies. But, you know, deer don't really make that much noise. If they did, I might catch them. But you understand what I'm getting at. Even the creatures know exactly who's getting ready to come onto the scene. 
They're hiding. They want no part of her. Edmund's foreboding entrance to Narnia continues to build, whereas Lucy enters Narnia and was admittedly a little frightened, but mostly excited. Edmund shivered at the cold and started calling for his sister right away. He decided he better apologize for the mean things he said, not because he felt sorry at all, mind you, but because he was scared to be in Narnia by himself. And he assumed the reason she wasn't answering him at first was because she had been, she was being spiteful back to him for being spiteful to her. Of course, this is how Edmund would think of it, right? Edmund is so consumed with Edmund right now. And it's really hard to imagine other possibilities or points of view when we are so focused on ourselves, on our immediate needs and our immediate comforts and the things that we want. So here we are. Lucy isn't responding to Edmund's calls to her. Edmund, of course, immediately assumes the worst about his sister for all this inconvenience to him. And then he looks around at him at the same enchanted land that Lucy looked at when she first entered Narnia. And instead of being excited and in awe, Edmund decides he doesn't much like this place. I love that line. It's so subtle, yet it's really powerful in revealing the depths of Edmund's malformed heart. The story begins and we can see that Edmund's easily irritable and he's bent toward negativity. And I don't know about you, but my heart goes out to Edmund at this point. I mean, it really goes out to Edmund at every point for different reasons. But at the beginning, it's pretty easy to see with just a little imagination to understand why Edmund might be fussy. I mean, let's think about it. They're living in wartime England, and the war is right outside their front door in London. And it's so close that he's been separated from his mother and father because of this war and sent off to a country where he and his siblings will be safe from the air raids. Meanwhile, his parents, though we don't exactly know where they went to, are presumably in more harm's way than the children since they aren't out in the country with them. Edmund's in a strange home with a funny-looking man, and no matter how kind he is, he's still a stranger to them. And Edmund's tired and he's probably hungry after his travels. That's a lot for a little boy to put up with. But then when we keep going, within pages, we see that Edmund's got quite the mean streak in him that he is completely unrepentant about. And now here he is, completely uncurious about this magical land where he's found himself after walking through a wardrobe. I mean, it's not exactly normal to walk through a wardrobe and out the backside into an entirely different world. And all this kid can think about is, nah, not my kind of place. You know, I, I think it's so interesting the way Lewis leads us to this point with Edmund. It makes me wonder if we might really reconsider how seriously damaging our own lack of curiosity can be to our souls and how ugly it can make us look and act on the outside. So Edmund's about to leave this place he's decided isn't worth a dime when he hears sleigh bells. I mean, who can resist sleigh bells? And so he waits to see who it is. And here's the beginning of poor Edmund's de demise. I want to read the beginning portion of Edmund's exchange with the White Witch. I'm going to pick up the beginning of Chapter 4, where the White Witch is trying to figure out just what kind of creature Edmund is. And I'll be reading about two and a half pages. But what are you, said the queen again. 
Are you an overgrown dwarf that has cut off its beard? No, your majesty, said Edmund. I've never had a beard. I'm a boy. A boy, she said. Do you mean you are a son of Adam? Edmund could stood still, saying nothing. He was too confused by this time to understand what the question meant. I see you are an idiot, whatever else you may be, said the queen. Answer me once and for all, or I shall lose my patience. Are you a human? Yes, your majesty, said Edmund. And how, pray tell you, tell me, did you come to enter my dominions? Please, your majesty, I came in through a wardrobe. A wardrobe? What do you mean? I, I opened a door and just found myself here, your majesty, said Edmund. Ha, said the queen, speaking more to herself than to him. A door, a door from the world of men. I have heard of such things. This may wreck all, but he is only one and he is easily dealt with. As she spoke these words, she rose from her seat and looked Edmund full in the face, her eyes flaming. At the same moment, she raised her wand. Edmund felt sure she was going to do something dreadful, but he seemed unable to move. Then, just as he had given himself up for lost, she appeared to change her mind. My poor child, she said in quite a different voice, how cold you look. Come and sit with me here on the sledge, and I will put my mantle round you, and we will talk. Edmund did not like this arrangement at all, but he dared not disobey. He stepped onto the sledge and sat at her feet, and she put her a fold of her fur mantle round him and tucked it in well. Perhaps something hot to drink, said the queen. Should you like that? Yes, please, your majesty, said Edmund, whose teeth were chattering. The queen took from somewhere among her wrappings a very small bottle, which looked as if it were made of copper. Then, holding out her arm, she let one drop fall from it onto the snow beside the sledge. Edmund saw the drop for a second in midair, shining like a diamond. But the moment it touched the snow... There was a hissing sound, and there stood a jeweled cup of full of something that steamed. The dwarf immediately took this and handed it to Edmund with a bow and a smile. Not a very nice smile. Edmund felt much better as he began to sip the hot drink. It was something he had never tasted before, very sweet and foamy and creamy, and it warmed him right down to his toes. It is dull, son of Adam, to drink without eating, said the queen presently. What would you like best to eat? Turkish delight, please, your majesty, said Edmund. The queen let another drop fall from her bottle onto the snow, and instantly there appeared a round box tied with a green silk ribbon, which, when opened, turned out to contain several pounds of the best Turkish delight. Each piece was sweet and light to the very center, and Edmund had never tasted anything more delicious. He was quite warm now 
and very comfortable. Ha ha, he was quite warm now and very comfortable. Isn't that Edmund's problem from the beginning? He's uncomfortable. And because he becomes so focused on his own comfort, one might say he idolizes it even. He's now fully caught in the witch's evil clutches. He's eaten from her deadly Turkish delights. And now all he cares about is satisfying his immediate cravings and is even willing to betray his own siblings in order to get more Turkish delight. And this was easy work for the witch, wasn't it? Edmund had already been nursing his bad behaviors and ill feelings toward his siblings. He was ripe for the taking, so to speak. As a quick aside, this is a good example of how Narnia acts as a fairy story and not an allegory. When we read this encounter with Edmund and the White Witch, we can easily see how it rhymes with the story of the fall in Genesis 3, and it does. There are similarities, and it can be interesting and a worthwhile conversation to have. But it's not a one-to-one correlation. Edmund isn't without sin when he enters Narnia and encounters the White Witch. He's already full of sin, as we've well pointed out. And Narnia isn't a world unscathed either. It's deeply held under the witch's evil magic. One might say all of Narnia's creation groans under the curse, waiting for its savior to come. If there is any correlation to be made, it is to be made with us, with you and with me. A friend recently put it so well, we are all Edmund. It's sobering, isn't it? To look at Edmund as though looking in a mirror, we are all Edmund. We are all prone to fix our eyes on something and want that thing more than anything else and then go start after that thing, like Edmund did with his cravings, to the detriment of our souls and to the harm of others. I honestly can't think of a single time when my sin and my idol worship hasn't affected others, when it's only contained to me. That never happens. We are all Edmund. We all sin and fall short of the glory we were made to shine with. But praise be to God, Aslan is on the move. Don't forget to find the discussion guide for Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe in our weekly church family email update. Or remember, you can email me at sherry at stjohnlutheran.org. There is a question in the guide that corresponds with this discussion of Edmund that we've just had, particularly in that area of idol worship. What is Edmund's idol? And how might it rhyme especially well with those hot idols of our present day? So I encourage you to download the guide and gather with your friends and your family and say, hey, let's talk about Edmund. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope you found something new to be curious and wonder about and even to take to to the Lord in prayer. Until our next time together, may the Lord bless and keep you. May the light of his glory shine upon you. May our Lord be gracious to you and give you rest and his peace. Amen.